We uh, thank particularly, Lord, of this week, with the 4th of July, and, and we're commanded to pray for our government leaders. In fact, they're called your servants in Romans 13. They, uh, they're their father to be a terror to evildoers and to promote the common good. And thank you for the blessed privilege, Lord, that we have of living in this land. We know uh, somewhat of history and know that most of mankind has been enslaved and has had uh, very difficult times uh, of their lives. Through most of the centuries of time, there have been uh, uh, certain points uh, that are otherwise, and we certainly enjoy that, Lord. It's not perfect. This is not heaven. Someday when the king comes, it will be. But uh, we have a large measure of freedom, liberty. We thank you for that. And we thank you for those that gave the ultimate sacrifice of their lives, Lord, that that we can uh, live here freely, that we can assemble freely and worship you without fear of harassment from government or troops or police. And uh, we're so grateful for that. We can uh, propagate the, uh, the gospel and, and uh, without fear of uh, being arrested and to speak in the uh, public square, the things uh, that speak of eternal life and the glory of our Creator, God and Savior. And so I'm thankful, so thankful for that, Lord. Yet we feel the encroachment of, uh, of, of that and the loss of, of that. And so may we be ever more bold uh, to be uh, transparent, that we would love you with our heart. We saw that last week, that you want our hearts. And may we guard our hearts with all diligence for out of are the issues of life, that daily we would confess our sins and walk with you in sweet fellowship as believers, Lord, and uh, may we be busy, Lord, serving you and honoring you with our hearts, our lives, our alls, that our work would uh, be a testimony of uh, the grace of God in our life and of our God. Uh, may our families be places, little places, heaven-like, not perfect, but uh, there is the presence of the Lord. And as we gather as a church family, people, that's the church, each one here, we would say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And so we pray, Lord, that, that you would be uh, preeminent in each one of our lives. We love the scriptures that tell us that uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that we're to seek the things which are above, not the things on the earth, and that uh, you're the God of history, and we live at this point in time and the days of our life are going so quickly, and life is so uncertain, and we are weak and puny, small and frail, and we need you. You're our shepherd, our keeper, the one who feeds us, watches over us, and you have a plan for our life. We rest in that. We're so grateful for it. Lead us as a church uh, in, the, in the appointed day uh, of, uh, of building, Father, a facility, which is a tool a beachhead for the gospel in the middle of a growing area till Jesus come. We pray for that, that you would supply all the needs, all the approvals, and may we watch and not miss and see what you are doing. Uh, gently, peaceably, quietly, one step at a time, like so often one day into another day into another day. So thank you for that. Thank you for our Savior, the cross and the empty tomb. That's the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the love of God shed abroad in our heart. We love each other. We call each other brother and sister, and we are. Thank you for the Word of God. Lord, where would we be without it? May we be those that eat of the Scriptures and feed our soul every day. We pray, Father, for that. And we pray for some in our, uh, in our church family that are sick and needing healing and mending. We pray for that. Pray for Megan, Lord, that you'll care for her fingers, that she might be able to do her work even on Tuesday. We pray for those that are more feeble and frail. Lord, we pray for strength for them, encouragement. We pray for those making difficult decisions for the wisdom that you alone give. We pray for purity and holiness in each of our lives. Thank you so much, Lord. We love you so. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I, uh, I wanted to read something to you. Uh, I tried to read a little bit of John, I'm like uh, Ron, I tried to read a little bit of John Piper uh, every day. And uh, in one of his writings, 
he, uh, he, he calls it a, a prayer for our church. And uh, as I read this, this little prayer, about a page and a half, uh, it was my prayer for our church here at Grace. As I think about you, and I think about you through the week, and pray for you and your loved ones, and things that I know going on in your life, and I, know, I don't know most things going on, but uh, I do pray these things. And uh, Piper's prayer is asking God to build a certain kind of men and women uh, in, the, in the, his church. But, so let me put our church in. Here's the prayer. It goes like this. O Lord, by the truth of your word and the power of your spirit and the ministry of your body, build men and women at Grace Church who do not love the world more than they love God, who don't care if they make much money, who don't care if they own a house, who don't care if they have a new car or two cars, who don't need recent styles, who don't care if they get famous, who don't miss steak or fancy fare, who don't expect that life should be comfortable and easy, who don't feed their minds on TV each night, who don't measure truth with their finger in the wind, who don't get paralyzed by others' disapproval, who don't return evil for evil, who don't hold grudges, who don't gossip, who don't twist the truth, who don't brag or boast, who don't whine or use body language to get pity, who don't criticize more than praise, who don't hang out in cliques, who don't eat too much or exercise too little, but who are ablaze for God, who are, who are utterly God-besotted, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who strive to know the height and the depth of Christ's love, who are crucified to the world and to dead to sin, who are purified by the Word and addicted to righteousness, who are mighty in memorizing and using the Scriptures, who keep the Lord's day holy and refreshing, who are broken by the consciousness of sin, who are thrilled by the wonder of free grace, who are stunned into humble silence by the riches of God's glory, who are persevering constantly in prayer, who are ruthless in self-denial, who are fearless in public witness to Christ's Lordship, who are able to unmask air and blow away doctrinal haze, who are tough in standing for the truth, who are tender in touching, hurting people, who are passionate about reaching the people who have no church, who are pro-life for the sake of babies and moms and dads and the glory of God, who are keepers of all their promises, including marriage vows, who are content with what they have, trusting the promises of God, who are patient, kind, meek, when life is hard. Isn't that beautiful? What a prayer. I pray that's increasingly true in my life and in your life as well, in the life of our church. Wow. And that fits right into uh, my text today. I've entitled the message, The Beginning of the End, Please take your Bible and look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 5 and following, as we look at uh, what is called uh, the Olivet Discourse. Now, what, uh, what do you do when everything you thought was firm and lasting comes crashing down? I mean, that happens, right? This is a broken world we live in. And stuff you thought was solid, like a rock, and... Uh, and the wind blows, and the rough winds of reality, and it's gone. It's gone. You know, there was a day in the ancient day when they thought the Roman Empire was the Roman Empire. You know, there came a day when the winds blew, and they crumbled within, and it was gone forever. I mean, history is strewn with all kinds of things like that on a national scene. We got a taste of that, didn't we, at 9-11? And isn't it funny how many years have passed since 9-11? I mean, how many years has it been? Twelve years? Blink twice, right? But when that came, those twin towers came down, it, it was like, 
I thought those things would stand forever. Wow, the symbol of American strength and economic power around the world and all of that. On a more personal uh, setting, perhaps you have suffered through a devastating personal loss. In life, most of us have, some of us more than one. Personal disappointment, loss, death, suffering, financial setbacks. You're like, I didn't, I didn't see that coming, and, uh, and so on. I mean, uh, what do you do when that happens? Well, we live in that kind of a fallen, bro- broken, Humpty Dumpty world. I used to teach that with Psalm 73. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. They couldn't put him back. And life sometimes has that happen. Gross disappointment, loss, suffering. In the streets, they go like, well, what do you expect? Stuff happens. How many times do you hear that? Stuff happens. And we go like, yeah, that's right. We all know what that means. I mean, that's right. Well, there was a day the disciples were with Jesus in Jerusalem just before his death. We're only a couple of days before his arrest and crucifixion. And they're walking now from the Temple Mount area in Jerusalem down the Kidron Valley. I've walked this, and some of us have run that. And then up the other side is the Mount of Olivet, or the Mount of Olives. It's a little higher than the, than the Mount Zion in the city of Jerusalem. You can go up on the top of that mountain, actually look down into the temple. It's not like a mountain you think of the Rocky Mountains or something like that, but it's, it's a high, high uh, elevation. And uh, the, on the Mount of Olives, it was covered with olive trees, and it's a beautiful setting. It would be the place eventually where the Lord's ascension, Acts 1, the Lord would actually ascend from that point in the Mount of Olives. I stood in that vicinity and imagined that very scene. And, and don't you love that in Acts when the angels said to the, the, the disciples that were there, that they, why, oh, ye men of Galilee, do you stand there gazing up? That would have been me. Where did he go? You know, like... Well, the clouds received him. You know, they just, it was hidden in the clouds as he went up to, to glory. And, and so on this day, they, the Lord's done teaching in the temple, walking the Kidron Valley, he's up on the Mount of Olives, and they're looking back at the city of Jerusalem, and the sun is shining. The sun shines over there a lot. It's not like some places like where the sun shines 50 days a year, probably 300 plus days a year. Brilliant sunshine, it's beautiful. And shining down at that time of day, probably later in the day, shining down on the Temple Mount looked glorious. We'll talk about that. And uh, they're looking at the temple area, the center of Jewish life, and they're marveling at the building that Herod was building for the Jews. I mean, the temple was the center of the nation, the center of Jewish life and thinking. Jesus hears their discussion you can hear it as they're walking along, right? Look at that. It's glorious. It's splendor. It's beautiful. And, uh, and, uh, and the Lord hears that, and he's going to make a comment about that. He's going, he makes a statement, we'll see in our text, that that place is coming down. It's going to be not, in fact, not one stone will be left upon another. Uh, and, uh, and so on. Now, I don't, I don't know if you've ever been in some of the great cathedrals and churches in the world. Some of you have. Uh, if you've seen Christopher Wren's tremendous St. Paul's there in London, it's beautiful. Uh, the Wren uh, designed the Washington, D.C. layout, I think, in the Capitol building there. But St. Paul's was his masterpiece. Beautiful. Maybe some of you have been to Sistine Chapel, and you've seen that. It's a simple chapel. But the painting, Michelangelo's uh, beautiful paintings and the ceiling and everything and the walls, glorious, glorious. I've been to uh, Beauvais, France, visiting missionaries there. Faithy and I were there. And we went to the great cathedral in Beauvais. It survived the World War II bombings. And the thing is like, I, I, I don't know if it's 200, 300 feet high. You stand in this laid out in the, as a cross, you know, as they typically are, those great old cathedrals from the mid, mid ages, Middle Ages. And the thing was being built. It still wasn't finished. Hundreds of years. And we're talking about 
building our facility here and getting in hundreds and hundreds of years building these great, great cathedrals. Well, the temple here was just like that. In that day, most of the Israelites lived in mud houses or, or not too much wood, but stone maybe and mud fabricated. And so the temple in all its beauty was glorious. And they were remarking about that. The Lord hears that and begins to teach about the future. That's the blank there. We call it the Olivet Discourse. Olivet, because they're on the Mount of Olives, Discourse, because it's a formal setting of the teaching of the Lord. It's like a lecture. There are three great uh, uh, teaching sections, at least in Matthew. We're very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we have, we've gone through that several times through the years. And then you have chapter 13, where the parables, another long teaching section where the Lord begins uh, in a form of par parabolic teaching because it's judgment. They wouldn't receive him in open day. He's going to now put it in parabolic form. And then the third, at least in Matthew, is this. This, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 5, Luke 21, uh, as we look at our text here today, and it's prophetic instruction. It's the future. Somebody said uh, um, prediction is hard to do, especially if it deals with the future. <laughs> now, that's true unless you're omniscient God, right? And the Lord Jesus is God verily of God verily. And the plan was written before the foundation of the earth. And now he is going to say with absolute certitude what's going to happen. He's not just guessing. He's not, you know, throwing snake eyes. Well, two out of three, you know, I think it's going to happen. No, this place is coming down. Well, that's, that's shocking. Yeah, more shocking uh, than the Twin Towers coming down. Nobody predicted that that I know of. Or the national symbol uh, uh, might be what? The Capitol building or the White House here? You know, even, even more important with that, for them to say, for, uh, for Jesus to say, the temple is coming down. Not one stone upon another will stand. They were shocked by it. And I notice in the text, when you read the, uh, Mark 13 also carries this discourse, they never doubt him. They end up, they take it, they embrace it. Uh, their question is, when? It's like your kids when you're driving. Then they're driving crazy, going somewhere. Daddy, are we almost there? You know, you only went a mile or two out. Are we almost there? Are we almost there? Are we almost? When? We want to know when. They want to know when. When's this going to happen? And what are the indication signs that this thing is, going to, uh, is coming close and going to happen? Uh, so uh, their amazement, his rebuke, or at least his prediction that it's coming down, it becomes then the foundation of this lecture. It was a preparatory lecture uh, for them because he was soon going to be gone from them and so on. So just a reminder, we discover in his words, his prophetic instruction, he's the God of history. History, remember this, and we said it as a thousand times, is his story. It's a good way to remember the word, English word, history. History is God's story from beginning to end. Uh, he is omniscient. He's above and beyond time. He's eternal. He's glorious. He's omniscient. He's great from beginning to end. Rest in that. Jesus tells of the coming destruction of the temple, and then he looks through time, and he tells the days just before he returned. We discover the sovereignty of God here, and that God rules in the kingdom of men. And uh, if you've not learned Psalm 103.19, you should. There is a God in heaven who reigns, and his sovereignty rules over all. It's the same type of message that Daniel purports in his writing, that God rules uh, in the kingdoms of men. He's talking to Nebuchadnezzar at that point, and so on. So three practical encouragements from Jesus. This is part one. Next week we'll deal with part two of the Olivet Discourse. But three practical encouragements from Jesus, helping you and I to be ready while awaiting his return. Now, to understand Jesus' prophecy, you must wear bifocals. Did you notice I finally got some new glasses? The, the metal flake was coming off the other, and they really looked at trash, uh, atrocious. But uh, Walmart did pretty good. 
They did pretty good with these recently. Yeah, they did. I, I went a couple different places, and then they, and they're bifocal. Faith wasn't too excited when she saw them. She said they were very different than the other, and she was holding her hand over her mouth. So I hope that's not your response. But I thought I need every, all the help I could get. And uh, anyway, but they're, uh, they're bifocals, and they're, they're kind of nifty. You know, they call them high-definition bifocal, and there's no line. Remember, remember, some of you are old enough, you remember the buy and the try, and you, get, you never knew where to look when they were looking at you, your teacher of yesteryear. You know, like, what is wrong with those lenses? <laughs> well, thank goodness technology has happened, and those lines are gone now. You can get them if you still want them, they said, and they're cheaper. But uh, they kind of smooth it out like that. When you read prophecy, it's like you need to slip on typically so bifocals. Now, some of you still have great vision. You don't have any idea what I'm talking about with that. But with bifocals, there's part of the lens, the lower part, that you can read with. Okay, for, oh, near. Oh, there's the near. I can read that. And then I can look up. And I know you never text while you're driving, but... Uh, but when you look up, oh, I can see far away. You look through the upper part of the lens. That's a great way to remember most of prophecy as it's given in the Word of God. There's a near fulfillment, near, and a future fulfillment, or final one, down through the corridor of time. A lot of times, another metaphor would be like, if you've ever driven west and you see the Rocky Mountain, you're going to Denver, let's say, and you look at the mountains there, and you go like, oh, look at them out there. Maybe you're 50 miles away, and they, they look like you could reach out and touch them. I remember years and years ago, we went out for a conference. Well, as you get closer, you discover, oh, wait a minute. They're not all like uh, on a plane. There are sort of the foothills first, and then there's valleys between them, and then finally the uh, Estes Park and all that. You can see it up there. Uh, but from a distance, it all looks flat, like it's all at the same place. But when you get closer, well, there's a near, and there were further away. That's, that, if, you, if you latch on to that, you'll, it'll be a big help to you in understanding the prophetic uh, hermeneutic of scriptures. Now, how do I rightfully understand this? Re remember in uh, Isaiah, give me an example. In Isaiah 7, you know, Isaiah asked the king, uh, ask, God says to ask for a sign. And in his rebellion, he refuses to do it. And uh, finally, he says, God is going to give you a sign anyway, and he, he's going to give him a sign. And it's this one, the, uh, 714, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and his name shall... Well, there, it turned out in the king, there was a near fulfillment of that, and we see that. But ultimately and finally, as Matthew picks that up, it referred to the Lord Jesus, that it would be the Lord who would be born of the virgin, and, uh, and, and so on. And uh, we, we see a divine interpretation of that, Isaiah 7. You'll see that all the way through Scripture. There's a, a near and, and a far. And it's the same thing here. You're going to discover that there's going to be a destruction that is going to happen upon the city of Jerusalem in the near, actually, I'll get ahead, in 40 years from this point, if Jesus is around 30 A.D., 70 A.D., God gave four decades for the Jewish folks to repent after killing the Lord of glory, and the destruction upon that city by the Roman general Titus was enormous. It was enormous, and it was carried into oblivion for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was decimated, uh, and, and that's the near. That's what Jesus taught. That's when this temple uh, and we'll see here, was completely demolished by the Romans. Well, think about it now. Wearing bifocals, a near and a, and a future fulfillment at history's end. So, what are three practical encouragements? Let me just say at the get-go, I don't believe because of this. he's dealing here with issues, and I know some of you have a different opinion on that, and that's okay. I, in eschatology, you, you, I should never split brothers or sisters in their understanding of Scripture. Uh, we need to search the Scriptures, challenge each other in, 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 in all of that. Uh, uh, but, um, I mean, we believe in the bodily second coming, return of Jesus, uh, and there's discussion, is, is there a tribulation? Is it pre-trib? Is it mid-trib? Is it post-trib? Is it pre-wrath-trib? And all this and, and craziness. Some churches split over such stupid things as that. 
Uh, I mean, the issue is the coming of the Lord Jesus. And the issue is the church in Israel. I see a distinction between God's promises, and I reread a lot of them this week, to the nation Israel. I mean, I, you read Zechariah uh, 14, 1 and 2, and there's a future day and a future occupancy. You read Romans 11 and, and, the, uh, and the branch and the grafting in, and God has a future for political Israel uh, that you cannot blend simply into the church, the mystery. And so I, I, I am persuaded that God will come back and finish in the 70th week, the week of tribulation. He will deal with the nation of, uh, of, of Jews, and Jews will call upon the name of the Lord in mass numbers and be saved. Jerusalem will be occupied. I, I happen to think that there are the bones now. There's no life there, very little life. And uh, that the church, the mystery of Jew and Gentile, uh, will be snatched away. And I, I personally hold to pre-tribulational rapture on that. One of the biggest reasons for that is simply the order of the book of Revelation, uh, where in chapters uh, 119 is the outline of the book, the things that are, were, are, and will be, and then two and three are the church, you know, and qualities of the church, and then after that the church is never mentioned again, and they're dealing with this great terrible time of wrath. So I see the chronology of the book of Revelation unfolding on. And good brothers differ, disagree with that. Uh, Jim Boyce had a little bit different idea. R.C. Sproul has a very different idea. They love the Lord. They love the gospel. And they're brothers. And someday, God will sit us down and say, listen, this is what I meant by that. So preach the word. Preach the gospel. And uh, be careful about the things that we know for sure. So enough said. So what are the encouragements we see here? Looking through the lens, let's read, begin to read the text there in verse 5, Luke 21, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, they're the disciples, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I mean, the temple is coming down, he says. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, I am the Christ. And the time is at hand, and do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. Now look at this. Look, underline verse 30. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Wow. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to uh, meditate before on how you, how you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they'll put to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem, he comes back on answer now directly. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And notice the Lord's tenderness again for women and their plight. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be a great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There are three practical encouragements from Jesus helping us to be ready. That's what he's doing. He's preparing when will this be, and how will we know the signs of it? He's talking to those that would be the foundation of the church, 
in just a matter of days. Well, the first practical that Jesus warns. He warns us, verses 5, 6, and 7, and 8, don't be led astray by wild ideas about history's end. I mean, what is it when you talk about end time history, the apocalypse that brings the nuts out? I mean, they're nutty. They come out, they're just like, and they're in the church, and they're in, uh, in the culture, and they're just like wackos. I don't, it's just not all there kind of thing or something. And, uh, uh, and, and people, and they get a following. They do, they get a following. We'll talk about some names here. Uh, the setting, we've already said it. It's a set, they're admiring the beauty and the glory of the temple. It was absolutely beautiful. Let me tell you this. It was overlaid with gold. I mean, this is Herod's temple. He's been building it for 50 years now. He's not done yet. He's going to go on another 20-some years. The thing will be just barely finished, a few years, and, and General Titus comes to town and rips it apart. It's covered with gold, and where gold wasn't on the outside... It was, my, it was white marble. It was so beautiful. So, and, and so when the sun shone on it, the white marble looked like snow, and the gold everywhere just, just for, for a long way off as they approached the city, it just radiated the, the, the building and the glory of God. It was beautiful, and it was. The stones that Herod used were enormous I don't even know to this day. You think of heavy equipment that we use for building in that. I mean, some of the stones in, in the foundation, you've seen the wailing wall and all that. That was Herod's uh, retaining wall. That, that's it. He, made, he doubled the area of the temple and uh, put these big retaining walls around like you would do in a, a yard that fell away and you wanted a, a retain. These, these stones are like 40 feet long and they weighed 100 ton. And they didn't have heavy hydraulic equipment to move them in place. It was, it was an incredible building. It was glorious, showing the shouted the glory of God. Well, the Lord hears their discussion. He says it's all going to be destroyed. He's a God of history. It's certain. You can count on it. The temple's coming down. The disciples believed him. They wondered the question, when? They asked, when's the sign? We already said that. Their question becomes the basis of this whole teaching, the Olivet Discourse. Our God knows the future. Here, with his cross coming, he's preparing. Some of you were Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts some of you were great Boy Scouts. I know that. You were the real deal. But be prepared. The Lord is preparing the disciples for what is going to take place in their life and in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, people are going to go like, whoa, whoa. Let me say something just in case I forget it. And this might be of interest to you. Um, in 70 AD, when it became obvious that the Romans were coming, the Romans are coming, there was a great church in Jerusalem. We see that in Acts 15. And uh, as we read church history, the, the, the leaders of the church there in Jerusalem remembered the words of the Lord and said, when you're in, get out, get out, get out, get out. And many of the, they believed the word of the Lord and they thought it was going to apply here because the curtain was going to fall. And, so, and they got out and they fled to a city of refuge and hence many of the Christians were, were saved and lived on past that time of destruction. And do you know what city of refuge they felt, went to? It was the city of Pella, the same as the window. Some of you have Pella windows. And I wonder if that's the Jewish company that runs that. Maybe Paul could tell us that or not. I don't know. But uh, they believed the, the signs, and they got out of town. Well, here he tells not to be led astray in verse 8 by goofy ideas about the end of the world. Uh, ones would come along claiming to be the Christ. I had that very experience uh, when God used the Word of God. When I was a senior in high school, he began to really drive home to me uh, prophecy, and I began to study the Word of God in, in, in a way I'd never studied, and it just opened up, and, and I was reading and studying these Olivet Discourse and in prophecy and First Thessalonians, and, and all of that became an important thing to me, and God turning my whole heart around uh, that God said it once, that's all he needs to say, and it came about. Jesus uh, was announced to come the first time and announced the second, and it's going to happen. He came once, he's coming again, and God was drawing me on that. And right at that time, I saw in our paper at the University of Buffalo, uh, an alma mater of somebody here, uh, there was a, a guest speaker coming in from India. 
And I remember seeing it. He, he claimed to be the Christ. And he was talking about the second coming. And, uh, and this and that. And I began to, began to think about maybe I should go to that lecture and uh, go up and listen to this guy and, and maybe this and that. He was, a, uh, again, an India from India. And, uh, and right at that time, I just, my eyes fell upon this very text. It was like, Lord, holy cow, that was a quick answer. <laughs> don't, don't even go. Don't even listen to them. There are a lot of wackos out there, and I never did go, and I was glad for that. And, but uh, there are people that do, do that kind of thing. And the time is at hand. Be careful. Don't get sucked in. A couple of names that you'll remember. Jim Jones. Oh, I mean, how in the world could people get sucked in, leave California? Well, no, I can maybe understand leaving California. But, the, but down there drinking Kool-Aid in Jonestown and then die because Jim Jones... Uh, crazy. It's crazy. How about, uh, how about the Branch Davidians, David Koresh down in Texas? Crazy. He's living in some sort of compound. I don't know that the government needed to attack and burn it up. I, that's a whole other discussion. But what were they doing down there? That's crazy land. You know, the church is never to do that. The church is to, to penetrate the culture. We're to live, embrace the culture for Jesus' sake in the world, but not other world. Not, not do those kind of nutty things. That's a flag. There should always be a flag to you. Stay away from that kind of stuff. Oh, that's personality and fear and a lot of other strange stuff. Cult leaders lead many astray. How about more recently, the radio preacher uh, Harold Camping? You know, a couple of you, uh, a number, uh, some of you a few years ago, like, oh, pastor, the end is coming. Yeah, I know it's coming, but I don't know the Herald doesn't have his math down. Now, he's an engineer. He loves numbers. You've got to give him that much on family radio. But uh, people were just given all sorts of money, selling their, all their assets. And, I mean, after all, if the end's coming, what's And I remember that in 94, and people were kind of nutty with this thing. And then again, he, he then after it happened, 94, and he, the Jesus didn't come, he's like, well, that must have been a mathematical error here. Let me go back to the drawing board. And he came up with 2011. Remember that? Just two years ago. And uh, people were going even crazier that time. You remember that one? It was in the end of the, it was December. Raj, was December something? Lisa, <laughs> I should have called you. You know exactly. People were like going nuts. I don't think we're going to make the 20s. And then when that happened, then he hid for a while. I wonder why, right? And then he, he claimed uh, he must have done mathematically made another. Jesus really is coming, but and so I don't know if he's back on the drawing board or not, but do not pay attention to that nonsense. The problem is, is we're looking for the Lord to come, and people in the world don't know Jesus. They're like, are you with him? You know, like, uh, no. <laughs> you know, like, you know, guilt by his, uh, you know, anyway. No, I don't know why. So Jesus warns us here, don't be led astray by these kind of nut jobs. Uh, uh, see that you're not led astray for many. I mean, don't, don't be surprised when this happens. Keep looking up. Second practical encouragement is Jesus comforts us in verses 8 through 11. Don't be afraid at the world turmoil. This makes sense, doesn't it? For when, we, when, when people start thinking about the world ending, it, uh, it can be very frightening indeed. 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 And, and I, I'm not one, I'm not like a cultural a junkie like maybe some. Some of you are. Yeah, worried about you if you are a little bit. But there is a deep pessimism I just sense in the culture, in the movies. I mean, it's like uh, the end is coming. You know, I, I don't know why. There's not this uh, uh, optimism in the culture. Things are getting better. I mean, you could say, well, it's the economy. But it's more than the economy because you've got some environmental wackos think like man is going to destroy this place. Well, that's true. Apart from Jesus, man would blow it up with atomic weapons if the Lord doesn't come. But, uh, and so we've got to regulate everything. Don't breathe too much air, too much carbon, too much this. Uh, we're better off just walking everywhere, everyone get issued a bike or something. I don't know. Why? Because everything's dying. Well, we live on a planet that's under the sentence of death. It is. 
the extinction rate. I was at a natural museum. I think I've said this a bunch of times, but it really stands out to my the fact that in dying you will die indeed. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and death entered the human race, uh, it became a planet of death. And at that natural museum, they had this enormous tree. I think it was three or four hundred years old. You could count the rings or somebody counted the rings or something. And then in the display, it showed just a slice of that. And then it began to show all the animals that perished, went into extinction uh, during the life of that tree. Things that we'll never see again. The saber-toothed tiger, right? They, gone forever. Things that were uh, on the, gone, I mean, all sorts of things that, you know, you say, well, well maybe that was where the unic unicorn went, right? There, there's a memory of something of that. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if God makes giraffes and hippopotamuses and they survive, something with, uh, wasn't it, was that it, Josh, a unicorn? Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, you've got to be Irish to know that really good. Jesse's wearing green. So anyway, uh, it, it is a planet of death. It is. And, and, and I just sense it everywhere in the movies, at school. Uh, and if it's not natural disaster, it's something's coming from outer space, going to blow us up. There's, there's a panic. There's a sense of hopelessness and a sense of doom. Do you, how many of you sense it? Am I the only one that maybe you like, oh, pray for him? There's, all right, four of us. Okay. Pray for <laughs> just feels that way. Like, oh, the other shoe's going to drop, and that's it. It just feels it. And here the Lord's talking about this total destruction of everything they knew and loved with the temple. And, uh, and, and in the midst of verses 8 through 11, let's reread that again. And, and don't be led astray. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear, here it is, of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. That's fear. That's afraid. For these things must first take place. The end is not yet. And then he goes on to give some more general description. Nations will rise against nation. Boy, uh, that, that, that we live in that day, right? Kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes uh, in various places. Famines. Pestilence. Those are bugs. Somebody, somebody tell me why we didn't get the, the, the cicadas. I mean, they, they, what happened to that? Did someone get the wrong... I thought we were ready for our trees to be eaten, and I haven't seen one of them. Yeah? Oh, that's good. <laughs> 17 years, somebody forgot to wake them up. That's what I kept thinking. I go, like, Faith and I have been, Brenda? Yeah. Oh, oh, my word. Well, that's where they all are. Well, I'm glad they're down at York. Maybe they're down at that reenactment thing going on. Pestilence, that's what it means. Bugs of all sorts and kinds and, and great terrors and signs in the heaven. All these are very scary, and we're not God in charge. We have reason to be afraid, right? Reason, but Jesus said, do not be terrified. God is in charge. Yet, if you read the papers, people seem to be terrified. On news, oh man, worldwide news instantly. How different from uh, not too many years ago. All sorts of disasters, man-made, natural, you know, tsunamis. You know, it happens and we're looking at it in Thailand. Uh, Thailand, where, where the waves came in and wiped them out. We go like, how in the world? I mean, it's on our TV set. During the first century, Jerusalem suffered all these uh, kinds of things on a different scale, and the city fell. Now, in the near, in the foreground, Jerusalem is going to suffer these things. There are wars at that time. There are earthquakes. They were even recorded. Uh, and, uh, and so we look at that, and this is going to be a harbinger, a picture of what's coming at the end, the near and the far, the bifocal, but it's going to be universal in scope at the end, of what Jerusalem immediately feels, and it's going to be catastrophic by comparison worldwide and global and even in the heavens. Uh, this, uh, it will be far worse and universal at the end of the age before the coming of Jesus. Now, we must remember that no matter what disaster may come, that God is with us, that He's in charge, and you need never be afraid. Isn't that great? I love that. Oh, I'm with you 
always, always, in the medical room, at the hospital, disaster, phone call, difficulty, God is with us. Write down Psalm 118.6. The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What, what can man do to me? The Lord is for me. Isn't that great? Don't be afraid at these things, even though there's a pessimism and a doom that seems to be so pervasive, and it wasn't that day. And finally, the third encouragement, Jesus calls us to be fearless. Fearless, courageously witness during suffering, times of suffering. For tribulation and trouble, heartache, pain provide extraordinary opportunity for evangelism. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Be brave. Be like my little granddaughters. Sarah's trained them well. At the point where they could be afraid, standing on the edge of a pool to jump in, or dark at night, little Taylor says, I'm going to be brave. I love that. She's only about that high. I'm going to be brave. I thought, well, her papa can certainly be brave then and stand up, stand up for Jesus. Why is it when after a national disaster, how about after 9-11, churches were filled with people? Those kind of times prevent, uh, provide extraordinary opportunities for people uh, to hear the gospel. This privilege of suffering, I have on your sheet, and it is a fraternity in a privilege of suffering. I remind you of the uh, disciples after in, that, in early Acts. They were beaten, locked up, beaten. They counted it a privilege to suffer for Jesus because of his name. It's a fraternity or privilege. Um, and it's not only for the disciples, soon the apostles, but for many ordinary Christians who would be locked up. Uh, Faith and I pray for Saeed. He's that young pastor uh, over in uh, Iran who the Iranians have locked up and sentenced him to eight years of prison. Why? Because he's doing exactly what we're doing here. He's planning a church in Iran. And this young family, he's a young father, uh, husband and father, and he has kids and they threw him in jail. There's international pressure, or they would, by, by uh, that wonderful Islamic law, execute him. But, uh, but they put him in prison, and we pray for him. You know, incidentally, that's the primary meaning in, in Hebrews 13, when the writer says, remember those who are in prison, as if you were with them, remember? Uh, and, and, a, and a need to remember those that are in prison for sure, that have broken the law and criminals and that. There's a great ministry in that. But that's secondary. The primary meaning is those that are being in prison because of Jesus. Remember them. Help them. Paul was in prison, right? A little different than uh, today, three squares and a TV and uh, all the rest. You didn't need if people didn't help you. Well, they threw you away. Oh, he died. Oh, that's too bad. Clean out the cell. We got room for another one. You know, that kind of, if the family and friends didn't support and help. And so Faith and I remember Saeed and pray that God would bless his ministry in prison there and remember his dear family, his children, as they wait, and, uh, and so on. And Jesus wants, us, uh, wants his own. He wants you, if you know him as Savior, to stand fearlessly and boldly be witness of him. That's verse 13. It's a wonderful verse. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Uh, what a great thing. And, and that means for us, no matter where we are at any time, in our, the application in our day would be for us to let the light of the gospel shine for Jesus. Shine. You know, in the midst of uh, downturn and opposition and difficulty, you probably won't be thrown in jail, although it could turn quickly. Uh, uh, shine for Jesus, and the Lord will work in and through you. Uh, the more the opposition, the better the opportunity. The tell of what? The Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, the reason of the hope that lies within us. I mean, how can you have, have hope and joy in the midst of this? I'm glad you asked that. And you share the love of Jesus, that God so loved. Just memorize John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why. That's the reason for that, the hope that is 
within me. Share that. Use every difficult circumstance to tell others about Jesus and his gospel. And don't you love verse 19? Don't give up, he says. For, here's the encouragement, not one hair of your head will perish. Now, how can that be? I mean, how can that be? He just said in, in the verse or two earlier, you're going to die. Some of you, and some of you will die. You know, and there's some, uh, some strange teaching about that as I read the literature on this. But uh, my, my take is, on, <laughs> is, on, is where the Lord says, don't fear him who can kill the body, but not the soul. But fear him only who can kill the body and the soul in hell. I, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about heaven here. I mean, you shut your eyes in death if they stone you or kill you like Saul, like Stephen. Instantly you're in heaven. And does that mean we're all going to have hair, Joe? What do you think? No? <laughs> Not a hair of your head would be lost. I'll get my thick uh, mane back again. My granddaughter said, boy, you're getting thin up there, little grandpapa, you know. But uh, it all comes back. Some of you will be joining me like that. Rod, you're in good shape. Don't worry about that. <laughs> So that's what it's referring to. It's not a contradiction here. The Lord said, some of you are going to die for my sake. And then a verse or two later, not a hair of your head. In other words, it's coming back. The glory of heaven forever and ever. And Violet has just written a book. I had the joy of, of uh, doing a read for her on heaven and hell and the joy of that. And one day soon it will be published. You all get a chance to read it. And I just, uh, just loved reading about heaven and, and all that it, it has for us forever and ever, and the joy of that, and even here. There you go. There you go. Well, finally, Jesus tells us, and he answers their question directly in verses 20 through 24. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was under siege by the Roman army for six months. It was a horrible time. Horrible. They were starving to death. They were involved with cannibalism, and if a loved one died or a baby died, they would eat their baby uh, the flesh of it, they, they were just bottled up and ruined. And finally, when the breach came, after six months of surrounding it, uh, the city fell. Thousands upon thousands were butchered and killed, slaughtered. The temple was destroyed. The city was in ruin. And if we can trust the writings of Josephus, a hundred thousand were taken away as slaves. And that was the fall in 70 after four decades, 40 years of God's patience waiting for them to repent after the killing of the Lord of glory. You read Spurgeon on this, and he says this is a harbinger of hell. With the fall of Jerusalem, God's waited and waited and waited and waited in his long-suffering and his patience, and then judgment fell. Our God is a God of judgment, Spurgeon so aptly says. The judgment, you want to say, well, what kind of... Look at Calvary. He poured out his own wrath on his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that all that are in Jesus are delivered. But those who are not in Jesus will suffer the judgment of uh, destruction and loss forever. That's what this shows here. The temple was utterly destroyed, just as Jesus said 40 years earlier. And you know what? It's never been built again. Do you know that? It's never been built again. There's a temple mount, and Satan in his way put a mosque. The Dome of the Rock is sitting right on that. That's an interesting political football. How about that one? Um, but never to be built again, and there's a reason for that, because the temple... Uh, was only a type, as Hebrews tells us, pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus, who in his own temple, his own body, shedding his own blood on the cross, provided the final sacrifice for sin. And therefore, the old way was no longer needed. It was the schoolmaster. It brought us up to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And therefore, it was outdated, the temple. Never again. Jesus is mankind's only hope. Well, what can we say? Look at lessons and we'll be done. Number one, be encouraged. Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he will reign as king. Isaiah said the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. You mean you won't vote? You won't vote. 
You won't be a political party. We'll all be yay and amen for the king. Universal peace at last. And that Isaiah 2 will finally take place. The swords will be beat into plowshare. I, I haven't seen that yet, have you? Their sword, their weapons will be refashioned, melted down, and made into that which is good. Wow. You know that plaque hangs at the United Nations? At the same place that they forbid any prayers in the name of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's, that is... Uh, a conundrum, isn't it? That really is a problem without a solution. It's the real deal, a conundrum. Because without the Prince of Peace, that UN will never have peace. And it doesn't matter if they hang a Bible verse up there or not. They'll never beat their weapons in the plowshares and use that metal for peaceful things. Never. Without the Prince of Peace, but he's coming. Number two, don't be surprised when everything you thought what that was sure and forever comes flying apart. Where our world seems to be spinning nearly out of control. People will say that. You just ask them, hey, do you think the world seems to be spinning? Most, I, I'd be surprised. Most people, if they don't say, oh, yeah, it seems that, wow, oh, man, oh, whew. Hey, here's a great verse, Psalm 11, 3 and 4. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's the answer. It's the answer, the next The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. There's the answer. And uh, when the foundation, God still sits on the throne. He's sovereign. He rules over the affairs. It's his story from beginning to end. Wow. Number three, when you read the, the papers or watch the news, don't, do not be terrified. Rather, look up, for the time of his coming is approaching. It's one day closer. It's one day is closer. Today is one day closer than yesterday. And we look for his coming. It's the blessed hope. I grew up in a church where on the bulletin, it was every week. Well, who, who are we? The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. As a little kid, we all learned that. The book, there's only one, right? I mean, I love books, but this is the book of books, right? The Bible, the book, the blood, that's the cross, right? The substitutionary death of Jesus for you and for me. The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. Hope is not a weak word in the Bible. It's a confidence. The, oh, the happy, what? Jesus is coming. He's coming again. So be careful when you read the news and all that. Go, oh, no. Or some of the common movies out now. Oh, it's like scare the willies out of you, whatever that is. I don't know what that is, but that's an old expression. But uh, what? Be careful. My, my mother's old pastor used to say, don't read the newspaper in the morning. It'll just depress you. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Well, anyway, number four, be bold. Be bold. Stand up. We sing that. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Stand up. Ask the Lord to give you some fiber. If not now, when? When? Is they're carrying you out? You'll be so feeble they won't even hear you. I stand for Jesus. No, stand up now. Be bold yet loving. Don't be caustic. If you can't stand up for Jesus without being kind, without being, don't say anything. That just hurts the cause. But be loving in your personal witness. Care about people. Share the gospel. Time is short. Jesus is coming. Most are not ready. Most have never heard the gospel. Share with someone. Hey, can my pastor asked me to, to mention something. Do you mind if I do that? People, if you ask their permission, they'll say, and just give them a, a two-minute gospel line. And then when it's all done, you ask them, did you ever hear anything like that? Kind of like you're doing field work, you know? Kind of like, like that. And did you ever hear it? Most people say, I never heard that. You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. And God will use that. Well, how do you know about that? Where do you find that? Say, come to church or come to grace. Or say, well, can I show you from the Word? John 3, 16. Or learn Romans Road. I'll teach you that. Now, God wants to use you, your sphere of influence, people that you love and care for that are near you. Call others to repentance and faith. Use every opportunity. Use it. That's why God brings it along. In fact, sometimes, do you ever get that? Where you're, you're in a situation and you're doing business and you got a busy schedule. Don't we all have, Americans have busy schedule. Got to go, Ooh, yeah, right? And then you get this thought right while you're there, hey, I should, I should tell them something about the gospel. Nah, no, I, no, I don't have time. Right? You ever get that thought? You think that's Satan planning that? 
Yeah, it's, I, I don't think so. If you think that, talk to me later. <laughs> you really have. That's, that's the Spirit of God prompting you. Share, just share, just do it. Don't, dump the, don't back the truck up and dump everything. Just, just in a feeble way, take a stand for Jesus. Do that. Be the light and grace, and God will use you and bless you. And you'll be a joy. You're like, I can't believe God used me. An old piece of stick like me. How about that? Use every... Number five, are you ready today? Maybe you're here and you're not ready. You've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You can do that today. With a simple prayer of faith, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying in my place, oh Lord. Thank you. For that wonderful verse in Acts 16.31, mentioned my mother already, but this was one of her favorite verses. Acts 16.31, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We learned it in King James. Shall be saved. Everyone. People say that. Can I be saved? Acts 16.31, everyone who calls. That's you. That's your name there. Terry called. Bill called. Harry called, Mary, every calls upon the name of the Lord. Lord, you be merciful unto me as shall be saved. Why have you done so? You need to do that today. Well, the beginning, the beginning of the end, and next time we'll see the very end, the last of the days that the Lord looks through those bifocals, and he looks down at the very end of the time and the coming of the Lord Jesus. Oh, it's all in his hand. Amen. Aren't you glad it's not in ours? Are you glad it's not in Washington's hand? How about the UN? Amen? <laughs> Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's so wonderful. It's more up to date than the morals newspaper. And we thank you for it. Oh, Lord, we look for your coming, the blessed hope. We have reason to be optimistic that we live in a world that's broken and suffers loss. And Father, help us to be those that are a part of the mission. Oh, strengthen us as a church in our focus, in our lives, our families. We love you. So make us a blessing this week to someone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Have a great week, guys. A wonderful holiday.